0: Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schauger. Today on 30 Minutes, we'll hear two local authors from a reading they did in July 2017 at the Oro Valley Library in support of Brian Smith's Spent Saints. In the first portion of the program, we'll hear from Mariette Addis, a former Tucson Weekly managing editor, fifth-generation Tucsonan, mother, story, lover, music lover, and pet owner. She now manages the YWCA Arizona Standing Together Arizona Training and Advocacy Center. Maggie Harstad introduces both authors.
1: Guests speak or share their work with us, um, be it musicians or poets. And today our special guest is Mari Herrera, and she is... um, a really, really good poet that I can't wait to hear. So here you go.
2: Well, Maggie is being a little overly kind, I believe, but I try. So that's. Uh, and of course, um, I had to go through my son today for approval on the couch during breakfast of what would be good for reading today. Um, Anyway, I'm I'm happy to be here to support Brian in any way, because I um, think he's wonderful. I was uh, really pretty honored to be able to work with him the last couple of years at the weekly. Okay, In this town. In this town, I've heard of miracles, small whispers never soak into caliche even in monsoon, never die out, even if they wanted to. They are the vapors of our oldest remaining ancestors, chasing us at our heels to do the right thing for ourselves, our familia, our deepest desires, our darkest secrets. On occasion, we listen. Their movement compels us to work their miracles, to forgive, to love, to drop pretense. It keeps us from being authentic It is only then, when their task is done, whispers disappear, making space for other ancestors ready to chase us through our streets. There are miracles in this town, delivered by whispers, our oldest ancestors chasing us like dogs, biting our ankles, making us listen, forcing us to open our hearts to our desire to forgive what hurts the most. She has a nopal heart. She has a nopal heart. It bursts big, blue to green. The space between thorns widens when that heart belongs to everyone along her street. She has, she has, she has a nopal heart, sometimes tender, small, made purple, made easy for a hand's caress tufts of yellow thorns prevent this delicacy from breaking apart. She has this heart, this nopal heart. Every javelina feral creature wants for it, a mordida, careful around the thorns, a flesh that sets even feral souls of fire, content, satisfied, no mouth can resist. Just a girl from South Seventh. How can I explain this to you except she's just a girl from South Seventh, a girl who, on her way to Mass every Sunday morning, hid her gloves under a rock before meeting her friend who didn't have gloves. They walked hand in hand, same, equal. She's just a girl from South Seventh who cried with her sisters at the dinner table. Wondering if the rabbit on their plates was the bunny from the backyard hutch that they loved and named the day before It was all they had for dinner that night Snowy with red chili and their father yelled to never make friends with dinner again She's just a girl from South 7th who still remembers Her Christmas gifts every year fruit and an ottoman given to each sister for radio listening at the end of the year each seat permanently bent from nights of fireside chats, serial radio shows, and the happiest news of the war being over. She's just a girl from South Seventh who had to learn Spanish so she could talk with her great-grandmother who made her brandy only served on her saint's day, the only day the girls allowed in the parlor. Although in the kitchen on the table where the sisters born, were born, everyone gathered for every for carne machaca Her great-grandmother dried in the backyard, a yard guarded by the Mean Goose, never to be anyone's dinner or friend. She's just a girl from South Seventh who remembers speaking the same Spanish she spoke to her great-grandmother, to friends on Drachman Elementary Playground, only to be slapped by a teacher, only to be slapped hard and told that English was the only language they could speak, even if it wasn't the only language they could speak. She's just a girl from South 7th who saves Spanish for home, weekends, summer at El Cine Plaza to watch movies with the beautiful Maria Felix and laugh at the clown Plaza There was no Mickey Mouse Club at this theater, just Spanish, love stories, ranchero music, life in what she remembers as the neighborhood everyone now calls Barrio Viejo, the destroyed Barrio Viejo, ripped, ripped, ripped street hearts apart. She's just a girl from South Seventh, nicknamed Papoose, and told they suspect she was dropped off by Indians from down the road and adopted. Her father would remind them to look at her face. She's an Herreras. Look at that. She's an Herreras. She's just a girl from South Seventh, told by her great-grandmother to never buy black licorice at the candy store on 4th Avenue, the dark, black, dirty candy she loved was not for ladies, never to be eaten except in secret, just like Spanish on the playground, gloves hidden under rocks, and sometimes the cultural she'd explain this way, I'm just a girl, I'm a girl from South 7th. Okay, one, one more. Happy birthday, Hal Johnson. When Hal Johnson held my hand that day, I could feel the skin of his 102-year-old hand, frail and thin and covered in ages imperfections. I asked what it felt like. He said, good. Good to be holding your hand, miss. No, no, your age. Well, don't you know? I found it out there. Hal Johnson looked out across his backyard and the 20 acres that went to the river dotted with sagebrush and rocks. He told me about the day he knew he'd live forever. He was 27 and out on his property looking for a lost calf. He sat on a rock, gave up, knew it had been eaten by a coyote. Well, I let it go and realized that was just it. I couldn't hold on tight anymore to this world and everything in it. Hal Johnson realized that day he'd be better off just sitting here for a while. He got home at 8 that night and decided to live a happy life. He'd let go so he could live to be 102. When I got up to drive off, I didn't want to let go of his hand. My hand, brown from the summer sun, fingers bent from high school basketball, felt comfortable there in his palm. He turned 102 that day, died the next. He's buried next to that rock where he learned to let go, where he figured
1: he'd live forever. Wow. Now, we get to meet the most magical people on the road, and thank you. That was so beautiful. It made me cry twice. <laughs>
0: That was 5th Generation and Mari Herreras from a reading at the Oro Valley Library in July 2017. Up next, we'll hear Brian Smith with an excerpt from Spent Saints. Brian Smith is a veteran of alt-weeklies such as the Phoenix New Times and Detroit's Metro Times. Before writing full-time, Smith was a songwriter who fronted rock and roll bands. At one point, he overcame heady crystal meth and alcohol addictions. As a kid growing up in Tucson, Arizona, Smith was a national-class bicycle racer. He now lives back in Tucson, and his debut collection of stories came out in March 2017. The linked narratives have been described as disturbing and raw, yet offering eerily beautiful portrayals of loss, ultimately reclamation and perhaps redemption. Brian Smith is currently the arts and entertainment editor for the Tucson Weekly. Here is Brian Smith.
1: So now's the best part when I get to introduce Brian to author. And um, I should say these these are 10 linked narratives. Um, They center on a character named Julian Grayling and follow him over three decades of his life. Um, So they start when he's about 14 as a bicycle racer, and then go all the way up through his his current day. And um, it's a really amazing book, and I've read it many, many times, and I never get tired of it. And I think you'll really like the character of Julian. He's a really beautiful and empathic character, and his cosmovision of the world is really something special. So I want to introduce you to Brian so you can hear him read his own words.
3: Hello, thanks for everybody for coming. I, one of my favorite writers said that um, to great writing is, great fiction writing is, well, I'm paraphrasing, George Sanders said great writing is, uh, is it's writing things that you'd be too embarrassed to whisper to your best friend. And um, so when I was writing these stories, I didn't think that anybody would actually read them. Um, and I'm really flattered that people are, and it's really a dream come true um but some of these were things that i would only whisper wouldn't even whisper to a friend and, and somehow they they're in a book and now it's like i have to go around the country and read it and it's really sometimes really embarrassing so i try not to read the most embarrassing even though it is fiction but it's still really embarrassing and so i try not to read the most embarrassing parts but Usually, and I always say this: the best parts are, are the ones that involve drugs. And but the book isn't really about drugs. It's but there's some redemption and there's the come, coming clean. Um, because if it was just about drugs and alcohol, it'd be boring and cliche. And and so I don't even know what my point is. My point is a is is it's fun to read the grittier stuff, but not the embarrassing stuff. do I even <laughs> making any sense? <laughs> Okay, this is a, this is from the story Iversen. Is this main character Julian is off to on a drugs on a drug drug score with his buddy Tinkles, who's a, a list guy who's a closeted gay gay man, and uh, he's an overweight tweaker. And there are no such things as overweight tweakers, but he's the one who actually existed. He's actually based on a real life character. I climbed into the passenger seat, and Tinkles lifted the pint of southern comfort from between his legs and offered me a shot. I took a good chug, handed it back, and twisted an air-conditioning vent in my direction, pretty much all we needed to say to each other. Tinkles wheeled the old Corolla back out onto my street and turned west on Van Buren. We took it easy through downtown, headed north on 7th Avenue and rolled towards Sunny Slope, a dark burb that rises up a sun-crested hill. There were a few cars out and butter-colored streetlights fanned across the windshield. Tinkles flipped the car stereo onto "Shares Believe and turned it up. I reached out and turned it down. Blown, distorted speaker, horrible song, my ears didn't want it. Tinkles nodded and flicked flicked the volume back up. It was near midnight, and Tinkles arrived two hours late. See, waiting to score, Crystal was madness. All you do is fret and pace. You count the minutes and seconds. You count the books on your shelves, and the stars in the sky, and the zits on your face, how many You took that week, you count everything again, and again, and again, and again. And the very first tweaker pathology that you learn is they are never, ever on time. Nobody is ever, ever on time. But you wait, you count every time, it's absolute madness. Before we got to Sunny Slope, we swung by a Circle K and picked up a 40 of King Cobra malt liquor for me and a couple of quarts of Bud for Tinkles and Jesus. I never showed up without a bottle. I would met Jesus once. It was nighttime, and he was leaning against a tree. He talked at me for two hours in that way that people do when they're used to being the only one talking. It was more of a sermon involving his missing son and Phoenix's white pride underground and the New Testament's immortal worms of hell and the agony of doing crystal meth in prison because it puts you in another prison. And you... Neighborhood folks said Jesus was a good Christian christened him Jesus of Sunny Slope. He was a New Testament fanboy who strode the hood at night armed with a Bible and holstered sidearm and he treated the streets and those on them as his ministry. They said he had a big heart. They said he protected them. He helped moms with coins for the laundromat and gave money to those whose food stamps were spent. They would said he'd never sell to minors. So, to score meth off of him, you had to prove you were older than 18. They said he decapitated some dude once with a guitar string for raping a Sunny Slope girl. He was a dealer with a heart of gold, all right. This guy, Jesus, is actually based on a character I met in Phoenix once. Um, We called him the mayor of Sunny Slope. So there's some truth to some of this stuff, I think. I'd figured prison taught him rules, like how to live by fear and to rule by it. He controlled the crystal flowing in and out of Sunny Slope. That gave him emotional control. He was a neighborhood protector, so the residents owed him. He threatened real violence with guns and a quick burn fuse. He had eyes and muscle in the dark corners of the hood. We were meeting him because the west side hillbillies were dry. He was never in short supply of goods, but it had a price. You had to endure him. We needed crank, and me and Tinkles laughed that the route to God was through Jesus. Any other time, I'd hate his guts. Skeletal trees, chain-linked dirt yards, and cinder block box houses constructed so close together on narrow streets made the hood feel claustrophobic. More than one open door revealed a motorcycle parked in a living room and two loud big-screen TVs. I saw sallow faces and joyless interiors lit up in reality show colors, the hues of celebrity deification and yearnings for easy fame and wealth. It gave the illusion of living in vibrant lights, high deaf desperation fueled on meth and fantasy. Police cruiser lights brightened up the all-hour action, cops in real time. Crystal kept the entire neighborhood Wired. The st- street grew darker the nearer we got to Jesus' place. It looked pieced together from black and white photos of decades old crime scenes. His was the last on a hilltop dead end, and beyond that, a no man's land of sharply barbed cacti and jagged rocks descending into darkness. Dude, it's heart of darkness, I said. Tinkles didn't respond. He rarely did. He was a reserved dude with a lisp. A comment from him felt like an intrusion, but he was no idiot. He bailed from journalism school. In the years I'd known him, I'd never heard more than a single sentence, maybe two, dropped from his mouth at any one time. He once drunkenly confided that his lisp provided endless hours of agony, especially around girls. Tinkles flipped a bitch and parked in front of Jesus' place. He killed the motor and headlights and swallowed the last of his pint. The streetlights were shot out, but we had moonlight. I stepped out of the car and into the hot breeze, unscrewed the king, swallowed a good one, and took in Phoenix, played out in the valley below. Darkness always calms the city's harsh edges, and the glimmering reds and ambers comforted. The malt liquor was ice cold, and I was feeling better. Jesus's house was hidden behind stuff piled high in the fenced front yard, a burnt husk of a Ford Bronco was centerpiece and heaped around it were bed springs, busted motorcycle frames, a corroded washing machine, a doorless refrigerator, a man-tall plastic Santa, mangled swing set, all sorts of junk. Weeds grew up through the chaos, and you could taste the rust on your tongue. A barricade passing itself off as some blue-collar art installation depicting a meth-damaged vision of Eden. Tinkle stepped from the car, and a raging pit bull emerged from under the junk and scared the crap out of us. We, sp- we sprinted up Jesus' dirt driveway, and I followed Tinkle's around the house to a side entrance. Now, Tinkles is the only overweight tweaker I'd ever met, maybe the only one who'd ever existed. So his trot had me howling. I'd never seen him attempt to run. He looked like one of those old Weebles toys wobbling side to side, but with globs of jiggly flesh threatening to split his maroon work slacks and pop buttons from his shirt. Even he laughed. The side entrance was half hidden by dead vines. We ducked to avoid a smashed up security camera dangling from a cable off its mount. We knocked, waited, knocked again, waited. Tickles unpinned his work shirt name tag and slid it into his pant pocket. We knocked again, longer this time. Panic rose. Every cell in my body was screaming for meth. I unscrewed the king and sucked. God bless the king of malt liquor. The people darkened. Another moment passed. We heard voices on the other side of the door. Another moment passed. Christ! Then multiple deadlocks finally clicked, and the door swung open. We stepped inside, and Tweaker effluvia filled our faces, and I almost choked on what smelled of underarms and peeled onions and lawnmowers. A woman stepped from behind the door and acknowledged us. She was skinny and skull-eyed, dirty blonde and pregnant, a pole and faded pastels with a hump in the middle and two heartbeats, one one of which was visible in her neck, speed thumping away. She shut the door behind us and vanished like a ghost down the dark hallway. She had no presence, emanated nothing, and left little impression. People ravaged by crystal meth are like that, like something tangible in their being. Astral planners call it aura, had been eaten away. You see them physically, but they're lighter in every sense of the word. A confederate flag stretched across the ceiling, nailed up in the center and corners, backlit by the ceiling bulb. It gave off a blood-red tint of hate. Okay. That's a little excerpt, so it's from my book, Spent Saints. So thank you, Mari, and thanks for everybody for driving out to lovely Oro Valley.
0: We'll have to leave it there. That was Brian Smith reading from Spent Saints, a collection of linked narratives which came out in March 2017. Earlier in the program, we heard from Tucson writer Mari Herreras. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Today, we are going to go out with Billy Settlemeyer's Black Grenadine. The work of miracles,
4: she bears no sign. Mmm, just the cradle edge of a world, of a world gone flat, flat inside. These granite garden's hold, no secrets here. And clicks and cries and just weird lullabies. you the night black angel on the machine You find yourself alone, the house talks back and the dirt is on, the, the is i yeah.